0: To Israel, I'm going to set this here. I hope that doesn't. Okay, almost didn't make it to Israel, and um, there were so many things going on. We were had a a church that was, uh, we were building a building, and we have six children, and all those kind of things. And almost did not make it, but we went. I didn't know my life would change as much as it did, and uh, I went with a great love for Jews. I I never really thought about Muslims whatsoever. Uh, they just weren't on my radar. I was just very pro-Israel, loved the Jews, and still do, and we still work with them, but we did not know that God would open up a ministry with Muslims, and really everything changed at 9-11. Uh, so I was pastoring for 20 years, and then in June of 2001, God called us to leave the church and go to work in the Middle East, and Uh, I I don't have these things happen to me, but I preached a sermon at our church in Colorado Springs, and there was this little ticker tape afterwards that came up. This is your last sermon at Tri Lakes Chapel. This is your last sermon. It just kept going over and over in my mind, and uh, afterwards I asked my wife Joanne, what what in the world do you think that means? And she said, well, I don't know. What, What do you think it means? I said, I think God's calling us away to work in Israel in the Middle East, and she said, so do I. And I think he's calling us to be missionaries, which we said we'd never do. And, uh, and she says, so do I. I felt like God was showing me that months ago, but I just really wanted to pray and make sure it was from him and um, didn't want it to be my thing. You know, obviously, he would call us together. And uh, just further evidence, guys, that our wives are way ahead of us spiritually, typically. So two months later, I saw a couple of nudges out there. <laughs> two months later, three months later, 9-11 happens. And uh, the world is thrown into this, this world of Islam, learning things like Al-Qaeda, Hamas, uh, suicide bombers, Sharia law, all of those things. And we were raising support in the static that we received. You're going to the Middle East. You've, you, you must be joking. It's not safe there. It's, it, you can't go there. You, if You have six children. That is not even responsible to go to the Middle East. One one guy said, you're stupid for doing that. And uh, that was my father, of course, that said that. But but things changed. And when we went to the Middle East, we found out it was a different world than what you see on television. Uh, There definitely is terrorism. That's that's a global threat. But we found out that 60 percent of Muslims don't even practice their faith. They were just born into it. 30 percent practice in their fairly normal, you know, just like you and us, and, uh, but uh, if we're normal, right? And then the 10% might be, 8 to 10% might believe that jihad is the way, but on, on television, it looks like everybody's just trying to blow things up. And my very first mission trip, 2001, I go into the Gaza Strip, and it's just months after 9-11, and a woman comes up to me. Sweet Muslim woman, and she's covered. We're in the Gaza city, and she reaches out and grabs my forearm, which they do not do that. She Hey, you. And I said, yes. And she said, you're from America, aren't you? And I said, well, yes, I am. And she said, I could tell by your blue eyes. I said, well, okay. And she said, did you see on September 11th when the buildings came down? And then they showed a video in the Gaza Strip, and this was on CNN. And they were cheering, and people were cheering that America is going to be defeated and all of this. Did you see that? And I said, yes, I did. And she said, well, I wasn't cheering here in Gaza. I I was crying for those people because they did not deserve to die. And that was wrong. And with that, she turned around and walked off. And I thought, Lord, I've been wrong. There's human beings in the Gaza Strip. There's people created in the image of God. They have a heart. They have a soul. They need to be reached. But what a world we live in right now. I mean, this accelerated global change is is uh, unreal. When you look at what we're living in, I would call them desperate days. They're, they're dangerous days. The world appears to be spinning out of control. Just look at the Middle East. It is so ripe for a regional war right now. Um, to the south, uh, Egypt now has been taken over by the Brotherhood. The, the Leaders in the Middle East said, do not let Mubarak go. It'll be filled with the." they've been waiting for three decades to be filled with the most radical group in the Middle East, the Brotherhood. Sure enough, they took over hostile. Did you know that in in, uh, Egypt, 42% of the people lived under the world poverty level when Hosni Mubarak was the president? 42%. That's living under $2 a day or less. Do you know what it is now? 48%. So the change hasn't worked. You may not know this, but 6 million people in Egypt live in graveyards. That's that's 6 million is the number of Jews in Israel. I mean, that's a large, large group. To the north of Israel, Lebanon, Hezbollah has taken over. A friend of mine sent me a picture a couple years ago, and he said, Tom, what's this a picture of? And I shot back and emailed the Dome of the Rock. And he said, you didn't look closely. So I went back to the picture, and I noticed there was all this green around it. And as I look closely, an Iranian flag on top of it. And he said, that's in southern Lebanon. And that's where Hezbollah is right now, the Iranian-backed terrorist group that is setting its sights on Israel. And with every time they look into Israel, they're looking at that Dome of the Rock right on the border saying, that's our ultimate prize. That's where we're going. That's what we're going after. Uh, that's Lebanon to the Northeast Syria we've been working in uh, Syrian we've been working with Syrian refugees at this point 70,000 are dead in this brutal war it is definitely a proxy war Iran is backing Assad the Sunnis are being backed by the Arab world and uh, it is a versus Sunni versus Shiite even though uh, Assad is an Alawite it's it's a proxy war as they say and that's spinning out of control Iraq Will they be taken over by Iran when they fulfill their nuclear capabilities? For all of our work and all of our amazing young people we've sent over to Iraq to fight that war, could we have accidentally just recreated the Persian Empire if those two get together, Iran, Iraq? And Iran is boasting of wiping out Israel. I'm sure you've heard Ahmadinejad talk about this. Hey, we haven't had anybody on the scene since Hitler who boasted like this, we're going to wipe out the six million Jews and what it took Hitler six years to do, Ahmadinejad says that he can do in 60 seconds. They can send over there and wipe out uh, Israel, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, There are 39 nuclear sites in Iran right now that have to be hit for Israel to stand up against this. Saddam Hussein had one nuclear reactor. The Osirak nuclear reactor in 81, Israel flew in under the radar, blew it up. They didn't think it was good for Saddam to have nukes. Pretty good call, I think. Now the Iranians have 39 sites, but really there's only seven key sites that Israel has to hit. And you know what? It is not in the Israeli psyche to sit back and take a nuclear strike. It does not matter politically, left, right, or middle. They will not sit back and take one. And so this Tehran to Tel Aviv corridor is just on fire, and ripe for a a war. Uh, I don't know if you know that uh, Israel has invented the Delilah missile. And uh, it can abort a a, a mission, a target, two seconds from impact. It can do it automatically, or off a computer, or off anything that's shot off a ship, uh, an aircraft. And it can abort the mission go up, circle around, wait for another command until it's told what to hit. That's the Delilah missile. Israel, you got to hand it to them. They are just flat out amazing. They've invented a bullet that goes around corners. It has a GPS on it. So uh, they're just at the top of their game on on everything. But we are in desperate times. But I have good news for you today. And you know what that is? Jesus is still on the throne. His plan is still going according to schedule. Uh, See, Jesus is not sitting on the throne biting his fingernails because Iran is ready to go nuclear. It's all under his control. Remember, folks, we have to force ourselves as believers not to take our worldview from CNN or Fox. There's another story. There are other things happening, and that's not the whole story, not even close. more Muslims have come to faith in Christ in the last 10 years than in the last 14 centuries of Islam. Did you catch that? 1,400 years of Islam, but in the last decade, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus than in the last 14 centuries. More Jews have come to Christ in the last 20 years than in the last 20 centuries of the church. We have a friend in Israel that knew four Jewish believers when he moved there. Today there are 15,000 Jewish believers in Israel. Long ways to go. The veil is still up. Romans tells us there's a blindness, but God's breaking through. What if you could go to a place where people asked for you to share Jesus with them? The Ethiopian eunuch. What must explain the scriptures to me? Or the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? Welcome to the world of Islam today. Today is a harvest time among Muslims. Sheikh Ahmad al khatani on Al Jazeera television said this recently, 16,000 Muslims come to faith, come to Christianity every day around the world. Many are calling this the fifth great awakening. Uh, 82,000 we're told by David Baird World Christian Encyclopedia 82,000 come to faith in Christ around the world this is not just Muslims but people around the world it's happening uh, and you know uh, this whole thing about Muslims having dreams and visions. I hope I don't offend anybody, when anyone ever talked about dreams or visions, I thought it was like Christian TV and someone with pink hair or something, you know? I just didn't think that, I just didn't know about that. I I just wasn't used to it. But listen to this. Operation World, which is the encyclopedia for Christianity right now, says the fastest growing evangelical church in the world per capita is in what nation? Not the United States. It's in the nation of Iran. Number two, Afghanistan. The worst places to be a believer, really, that we would think are the best places. They are. When I went into Gaza Strip and met with the pastor of the church the first time in 2001, and um, a church of maybe 100 people surrounded by 1.5 million Muslims, Gaza tends to be pretty fanatic. Voice of the Martyrs called it the most dangerous place in the world at one point. And I said to the pastor, my gosh, I, it, it must be so hard being surrounded by 1.5 million Muslims and you have this small church and h- how do you survive? He said, Tom, actually it has its advantages. Uh, advantages? I said, well, name one. And he goes, well, people don't get upset on Sunday and go to another church because they didn't like the music or the <laughs> preaching. Or they're not fighting over eschatology. You know, it's, it's just not a possibility. So we think of these terrible places. What would it be like? Well, we had a chance to go into Iran and take Bibles. And I don't like the word, the term smuggling Bibles, uh, because my dad was an FBI agent. And he told me if I broke the law, he would kill me. So we don't use that smuggling Bibles. We, we like personal deliveries from God. But anyway, so we've gone into Iran. Bringing Bibles to the underground church there, and it's been an amazing blessing. The first time we go in, so many miracles getting in. But, but as we're getting to the place where the bags are going to be scanned, they've gotten through the passports. That was several hours. I've never seen any Americans there. I know they're there, but you just don't see them. And we come up to the to the guard, and here's this big screen. Here's this big Iranian guard sitting here. You put your bags up on the... The belt, they go, and there's television. You see the skin. You can see exactly what's in there. And that would be the time that your prayer life gets a jump start. You know, I mean, it's just uh, someone says, you know, I'm not connecting with God. I don't don't feel like I pray that well. We can change that in about a minute. You know, you'll become a prayer warrior, believe me. So we put the bags up there. I'm the first in line. We have a team of six, and put the bags up, and I said to the guard. I said, do you, do you want my uh, backpack to go on the belt? And he said, uh, no, no, that's fine. Don't don't worry about that. Just, um, just put your bags up. And then he looks at me and he goes, you're an American? And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, well, what are you doing here? And I thought that was an unusual greeting, you know, kind of. And I said, well, you know, we, we love the Iranians. We just want to see the sights. We want to, you know, come and find out about the country. And And so he gets into this conversation with me, and I can see the first bag going. And we had 500 Farsi Bibles. So the first bag goes by on the television screen. You can see the rows and the stacks. And, but he's just focusing on me and saying, you know, I have a cousin in California. And I said, I love California. There's a lot of Iranians there. And he goes, yes, we call it Tarantulus, you know, not Pasadena. And we're going back and forth. And I said, I lived in California. Didn't tell him it was Bible college. But we keep going and talking. And he's saying, I want to go to California someday, said, man, I hope you go. Bags are going by. He's never looked at the screen once. And finally, this was it. This was a shocker. I mean, they never prepared us for this in missionary training. We're just at the end, last bag's going by. And he says, you know what? I can't wait to go to California. Hey, have you ever had an In-N-Out burger? I mean, that's a big thing in California. I, w- I wasn't expecting that. I said, actually, I am. They're really good. And would love to have you. Uh, come to California. Last bag goes by, looks at the screen. Oh, you're finished. Hey, welcome to Iran. And we walked across. Do you know that everybody with every single bag before we went was opened and searched? As soon as we go, the next guy, first bag, OK, buddy, open it up, every single bag except ours, all of ours, And the Bible's got through to the underground church that is worshiping Jesus from midnight to 3 in the morning. And they change places every time they worship. I've never been to a place where people openly asked about Jesus. See, the Iranian revolution has backfired. They took over in 79. They lead the world in suicides and drug addictions. It's kind of backfired. It hasn't brought a better life. People are looking for something different And so we're in a city, Esfahan. And uh, we're out on the streets. And I said to this underground believer there, how do we find people to talk to? He said, you don't find them. Just go out in a public place. You're an American. You guys are like rock stars. They will see you wherever you go. And soon we have 50 to 75 people around us, Iranian soldiers. They're wanting Bibles. They're wanting to talk about Jesus. And this one man says, I want you to come to my house tomorrow. I have to ask you questions about Jesus. Okay, we'll be there. So I thought it would just be his family. Our little team goes there for dinner. But he's got all the cousins there, you know, so there were, we counted 29 people. We thought it was like three or four. 29 people are there. We have the Iranian meal, the kebabs, all of that. It was amazing. And at the end of the meal, the father says, I've been having dreams about Jesus. And I want to ask you about him so we sit down and talk with him and he has questions and after two hours he says i'm ready to become a jesus follower does anybody want to go with me and the whole family raises their hands we lead them in the sinner's prayer we give them discipleship follow-up amazing things started to happen we've got a an email from one of the brothers a month later. And you know, they don't always get the language right. So he's wanting to say to me, Tom, our sisters are on fire for God, is what he's trying to say. But in the email, he says, Tom, my sisters are hot for Jesus. So. <laughs> but we knew what, they, what he meant. So you want to live all out like those believers. Let's look at Hebrews 12. This morning, we looked at the passage, it was read. Thank you for reading uh, this morning. Let's just look at verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hindered us, hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. This is a glorious chapter. Think of an athletic contest. It's a great visual for the people. Cloud of witnesses, whether you take the view that they actually see down and see us or if that's just a metaphor to really encourage us, the writer says, get rid of the things that slow you down. Get rid of the sin that entangles you. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. We know that's the world we live in. Uh, I was talked into running a marathon 12 years ago with my son Josh. He was 12 years old. There was a little girl in his class that had cancer. And they did fundraising for her. And um, and so we trained for four months and went to Los Angeles to run the marathon. I I couldn't run a mile uh, at the time we started training. But we got to LA where we were up to where we could run in the 20s. We thought, okay, we can do this. Went with the school. 22,000 people there take off when we run. And we had lots of tribulations along the way. But at the end of the race, we're two miles away. We're in downtown LA, and I'm still running with Josh. And he says, as a 12 year old little guy, I can't go any farther. I, I can't. My legs are locked up. I feel like I'm going to pass out. I, I can't go any farther, Dad. And I said, You think we could just maybe walk? Let's just walk. I don't even think I can do that. I said, I I got it. I understand. And I'm feeling guilty. Is he too young as a 12-year-old to be doing this? But anyway, we come around some buildings. And we didn't realize it, but a million people watched the LA Marathon live in person along the way. Huge grandstands with a couple miles to go and a big Sony Trinitron on a building. And there are announcers. We heard this loud noise. And there's one guy announcing, one guy in binoculars. And they pick people out through their number and say, look, there's Fred Smith from New York City. And people cheer for him and stuff like that. Well, all of a sudden, we come around. There's this enormous crowd. And we see the TV. And the announcer goes, hey, look, there's Josh Doyle. He's only 12 years old from Monument, Colorado. And the whole group goes, I mean, this huge cheer. And I said, Josh. Did you hear that? And I looked over, but he wasn't there. (laughs) He was sprinting and seriously sprinted the last two miles to the finish line, the encouragement that he needed. I was trying to reason with him. The crowd yelled, cheered. Hey, whatever view you take on this as as far as the cloud of witnesses. In the past, we've been surrounded by them as far as their pattern of faith, whether they're watching us or not. But you know what? We've got to get rid of the weight. Got to throw it away. And you know what it is for most Christians? Fear. Fear is a great motivator. We have a friend that lives in um, Jordan, and uh, she's a believer. Her name is Randa. She's married to a Kamal, and one day she says to Kamal, Kamal, today in my devotions the Lord spoke to me, wants me to take a, a box of Bibles into a Muslim area in Amman and give them out to people. Well, you can get arrested for doing that. Kamal says, thank you, Randa. I'm glad you had great devotions, but we can't do that. We'll get thrown in jail if you do it. Well, the Lord told me, Kamal, so I'm going today, whether you go with me or not. And I'm going to start on this street corner. And she named a street corner. It's a very fanatical area of town, he said. You're not going there. And she said, yeah, that's that's where I'm going. I'm going to get in the car. And if you want to go with me, that's great. But if not, the Lord told me. I'm going, OK, he gets in the car. So they'd arrive down into this area where it's very fundamental Muslim. And she looks at a street corner. There is a sheikh standing there. So you have the imam, which would be like a pastor. A sheikh is like a seminary professor, if you will. Okay, So standing on the corner is the sheikh with the hat and the robe, and there he is. And she said, I want to start with that guy. And her husband said, no, you're not. I know that guy, and he is a mean dude. He is a fanatic. You're not going to him. She said, yes. Well, they'd had an argument about this at the house, and it finally took them about two hours to get going. It's now noon. And she said, come on. I'm getting out of the car, whether you stop or not. So. He pulls over, she gets out, walks up with the Bible. As soon as she does to the sheikh, she sees all this gesturing and this talking and he's pulling the car over thinking, oh my gosh, there's a fight's gonna break out. He's gonna have her arrested and he runs over and the sheikh says this. You know, I've been having dreams about Jesus for weeks now and last night I had another Jesus dream and I said to him in the dream, Jesus, how do I know more about you? I'm having these dreams, but what do I do? And he said, go stand on this corner at 10 o'clock, and there's going to be a woman that comes and gives you a Bible. Read it. And he said, lady, I've been standing here since 10 o'clock. You're late. (laughs) The fear that we have, the stuff that will hold us back. Friend of ours, Doug, who works with us at E3, lived in Afghanistan. One of the big problems in Afghanistan, social problem, is homosexuality. It's just rampant in Afghanistan. Doug would, as a missionary and from America, and they didn't know that he was a missionary, of course, he was just working there, would have men that were always hitting on him and asking him questions and and that. And so one day, he's in a restaurant. This man is just staring at him, just staring. And he's, it's kind of awkward. He looks away, and then he looked look back. This man is staring at him. And, and, and finally, the man gets up and comes over and says, you must come with me to my house. Well, now he's really kind of creeped out. you know. Uh, no, I, I don't think so, but thank you. No, 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 really, I need to talk to you. I've got to talk to you. And my wife and my children, we, we all have to talk to you. And Doug said the Holy Spirit just quieted his heart, and he knew that it was okay, and he went with this man to the house in Kabul, Afghanistan. He's dressed as Taliban. He goes into the house. I sit down and have tea, and he looks at, the, at Doug and says, why are you here in our country? Well, as a missionary, you have to have a little cover. You can't say things. And he says, well, we love the Afghans. We're, you know, we, we, we want to be here, and we love your country. And he's generalizing. And the man looks at him, and he goes, why are you here in this country? And he said, I couldn't think of anything else to say. So I said, why does it matter to you? And he said, because I've had Jesus dreams every night for the last seven nights. And last night I had a dream and you were in my dream. And Jesus said, you'll meet this man tomorrow and he'll tell you that I have a special message for you. So he looked at Doug and he said, so what is your message from God for me? Hey, we're missionaries. I mean, it doesn't get any easier than that one. I mean, really, if he, blows, if he blows that one, he should be fired, right? I mean, he should go out and do something else. And over time, he leads them to faith in Christ. They have a house church. But you know what? All of this is not easy. It's not a walk in the park. There is persecution that's happening. Uh, MI5 out of Great Britain says that about 250,000 Christians are killed each year around the world. We don't hear about it. There's 40,000 that we know in prison right now, just in in, uh, North Korea. It's happening all around the world. But we cannot reach Muslims if we fear them or we hate them. Maybe there's unresolved anger from 9-11. Did you know that God has placed you sovereignly right here for a purpose? Because Dallas is the second fastest growing Muslim city in America right now. Chicago is number one. Dallas is number two. It used to be Detroit, but nobody can get a job there anymore, so they're not going there. And you know what I believe? Because we have this steady stream of stuff on TV, and these are real things happening. I mean, you look at that trail of blood, and it often goes back to Islam, sadly. But I believe that fundamentalist Islam, or radical Islam, is one of Satan's goals and uh, strategies to keep us believers away from Muslims. Because if we fear them, or we hate them, we're not going to reach them. Which, by the way, both positions as a believer, they're unbiblical. We're not supposed to be afraid of anyone. Greater is he that is in you. He that's in the world not supposed to hate. Jesus said, "Love your neighbor." Well, they're enemies. Well, he said, "Love your enemies." <laughs> you can't get, you can't get out of it. Okay, let's go on. Run hard, but run steady. Uh, and uh, the the sin that's so uh, and let us run with perseverance. The race marked for us. Perseverance. I looked that word up in Greek, and I thought, what kind of cool meaning does that have? And it literally means nostrils. You know, like. Uh, like running where you're breathing correctly and it and, and it's a long race it's it's not a sprint races uh, some races are easy some are really challenging and we're in a race and we need to pace ourselves and if you think it's difficult to be a believer here traveled to the Middle East we took a team to Jordan and um, did a medical clinic and we're in a Muslim city And in three days, we can see 500 Muslims and treat them, show them the love of Jesus. But we tell our people now: be careful. Hopefully, you're going to get a chance to share the gospel, like when they're doing the eyeglass clinic there, and we're giving them an Arabic Bible. Okay, try these glasses on. Read this verse here, John 3:16. So they read it, you know. And how do they work? Pretty good. Okay, try these glasses. Same verse. Read it, and we make sure. Seven times they read that same verse. So, so getting the message to them. But we're saying, be careful. We know you want to share Christ with 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 Muslims, but ease into it if they ask you. Great, but don't. Hey, do you know Jesus? Or whip out the Evangel Cube or Force. You know, the Imam can shut down the medical clinic like that. They're proselytizing. Get out of here. So we just given everybody that kind of warning. And uh, we have a uh, leader Jeff, and he's a physical therapist. So he's going to be doing physical therapy. Very first person that comes in. It's a Muslim woman. She's in the hijab. Everything's covered in black except her face, okay? And her husband. She comes in and says, I have a bad shoulder. He said, I can help you. They go behind a curtain, her, him, and her husband. And so she says, before he starts to even look at the shoulder, she says, um, Miss, Mr. Jeff, are, are you a Christian? You know, we've just told him, now be careful with you. <laughs> And he goes, um, Yes, yes, I'm I'm a Christian. And she said, "You are," and he said, "Yes." All covered in black. She rolls up a sleeve. She rolls up the second sleeve. Has a tattoo of a cross under the hijab. And she says, "I love Jesus too." And he looks at her. He's he's shocked. What? What? You're kidding. What? What does this mean? She looks. He looks at the husband, and he says, "Me too." They love Jesus. They're in the underground church in Jordan. They meet in the middle of the night. Let me tell you, it is a long haul. It is difficult for them to serve Christ. Let's go on. Um, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the pioneer, one version says, and perfecter of our faith. Listen, he finished everything when he went to the to, the, uh, to sit by the right hand of the Father. He sat down. Everything is finished. It's completed. And we just have to fix our eyes on him. And one of the reasons we're told to do that is because we live in enemy territory. This is not our world. This is the world of the enemy. The, enemy, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We will receive hardship. We will receive persecution. Uh, Farshid who we smuggle the Bibles into is in prison in Evan prison that is probably the worst prison in the Middle East it has a dungeon in the basement he's there for eight years let me tell you he is following Jesus alone his whole focus is on Jesus you know the shooting at the school is it Sandy Hook is that Farshid sent a letter from prison to all of the the family's saying, I'm very sorry at what happened. I'm praying for your families. I understand you're going through hardship. He's being beaten daily in prison. Well, that probably won't happen here. But the enemy will attack us. There may be persecution in America. They certainly are marginalizing us. Uh, Anybody that's a Christian on the news is is biased or really doesn't know what they're talking about. It's coming. It may be a long way off. Okay, let's go to verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't get tired. Don't lose heart. Jesus is moving. Turn off the news, get into your Bible, start getting connected to what he's doing around the world. He's moving. Listen, with this phenomenon of one-third of all Muslims worldwide, and that would be one-fourth of the planet, over 1.5 billion. One-third of them, I mean in faith in Christ having a dream first, he's moving. Now, 95% of them are led to faith in Christ by someone explaining the dream from God's Word. It's the Word of God that leads them to faith in Christ. But this just those dreams kind of knock the boulders out of the way. Gosh, I guess Christians don't worship three gods, or maybe the Bible's not corrupted, like I've been told. And so no, please don't get us wrong. Nobody goes to bed a Muslim, has a dream, and pooh, wake up, and they're a Christian. Not at all. It just kind of just moves some of the clutter out, and they can look straight at Jesus and find out who he is. Okay, here's some key truths for today. Number one, Christians are being persecuted at an all-time high. Never before in history have we been so beaten up, so martyred as is happening today. Two, radical Islam, I believe one of the goals is Satan's attempt to keep us away from Muslims. If this is the most open people group in the world, and I believe it is, what better strategy would ha- Satan have than to separate them from believers? Get them away from the power, get them away from the light. Three, Jesus is on the move. Power, love, we're seeing it. Iran, uh, Afghanistan. Do you know that there's a church in Mecca, Saudi Arabia? If, if you go there and are not uh, uh, practicing, if you're not a Muslim, there would be no court case. You'd be killed immediately. But yet there's a vibrant underground church in Mecca today. And four, believers are risking their lives for the sake of Christ around the world. So we got to get rid of our baggage. What entangles us? Is it fear? We've got to run steady and run hard. We have to follow Jesus alone. And we have to hang in there when we do. What's our motivation as believers? It's the crowd. It's the cross and it's the crown. Those three. The crowd, the cross, and the crown of life. So I want to leave you with a question today. Do we have the spiritual guts to reach out to Muslims as believers? Do we? It's one of the most significant awakenings in 2,000 years. In fact, we have a former Muslim that is on our staff now. And her name is Sophia. And she said, Tom, when I came to, she's from Kuwait, You know what she said? She said, when I came to faith in Christ, everything changed. The next morning, I woke up. And I didn't hate Jewish people anymore. I don't know where that went. In fact, I loved them. I had an overwhelming love for them. And And then she said, I realized all my life I'd been told to hate Jews, and I hated Jews. And I realized I didn't even know a Jewish person. Why would I hate them so much? God took it away changed it. Hey, that is one of the best uh, groups that can evangelize the Jews in Israel. You know, we were going into Gaza one time, and there was a border guard. And he didn't want to let an American team into Gaza. He just said, it's too dangerous. And I said, I know it's dangerous. We won't go in the bad areas. And he said, no, it's too dangerous. Can't let you in. So our team was praying. This is a Jewish soldier at the Eris Crossing, not wanting us to go into Gaza. And I said, but please, there's one church there. They're believers. They don't hate Israel. They, we, we need it. No, can't let you in. So I went over. We prayed with the team. And I thought, felt like God was telling me, think like a Jewish person. Think like a Jew. Jews are very expedient. They're very sharp. And so I walked up to this border guard, and the Lord just gave it to me. I said this, you know, I'm a Christian, and you're a Jew, and all those people over there are Muslim. And we just know this. When they come to faith in Jesus, they don't blow up your buses anymore. And he just pulled back, and he looked at me, and he said, well, go convert them all. <laughs> Hey, Matthew 16 Jesus said this upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail won't stand no ruler no religion no authorities in the heavenlies those evil spiritual authorities no one person no one man no government will be able to stand you know football they're starting to practice a little bit for football and I'm a big Denver Bronco fan trying to get into the Dallas thing as we moved here but I still like the Broncos but I don't know we'll see how this goes Um something that happens at the end of the game usually when there's a critical play and they're not sure whether the guys feet were in bounds when he caught the touchdown or not and then there's a flag on the field the coach throws it let's review it and what happens is they come back after it seems like 10 years and 10 commercials and finally they get to the point where they're gonna give the ruling And they say, upon further review. And then they give the ruling, right? Well, you know what? It's as if Jesus is sitting up, and he's not in a review booth. He's on the throne of God. But I think he's saying this to the church today. Upon further review, we're going after the Muslims. It's not going to end this way. They're not going to blow up the world. They're not. Jesus is going to reign victoriously. Get rid of your fear. Confess your hatred if you need to. Bring Jesus to them. They're open. They're waiting. They're wanting us to know. They want to know who Jesus is. He said, if I be lifted up before all men, what will happen? I'll draw them to me. It's Jesus that they need. So I want to challenge you. Every time you go by a mosque, would you just pray? There are a lot of them in this area. Pray for the people there. Lord, reach out to them and see who Jesus is, too. The church is behind enemy lines. They are being persecuted like never before. Uh, What we do at E3 is we set our watches at 8.38 p.m. for every night, 8.38 p.m., to go with Romans 8.38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, love of God in Christ Jesus. 8.38 p.m., our alarm goes off. You know what we do? We pray for believers around the world that are in prison, in persecution, or danger. Prison, persecution, danger. All three of those, not facing here, harassment, but prison, persecution, and danger. Pray for them. Number one, pray for Muslims. You see someone that's a Muslim, reach out to them. Please, if a Muslim family moves in next to you, and it's a good possibility in Richardson and in this area, if a Muslim family moves in next to you, don't call 911. Please, you know, just, just meet them. Go over. Have them over for dinner. Or, or, or better yet, go to their house for dinner. You'll probably love it. Get to know them. Start a relationship. Jesus is moving. I close with this. There was a woman in Iran that had several, several dreams about Jesus. She was 85 years old. She kept having these Jesus dreams, asking, what does this mean? But she's 85. She lives in Tehran. She's alone. She can't get around. Couldn't find a Bible. Couldn't find anyone to help her. Jesus, what does this mean? How can I know you? What do you want from me? Well, in Iran, they have state-sponsored TV, because they don't want people connecting with the outside world. But there is satellite that comes in that is illegal in Iran, but it gets in anyway. You're not supposed to have it. But people often, sorry, sore throat. People often uh, get on satellite. And maybe there's one guy that gets a satellite dish uh, in an apartment building, okay? And uh, he hides it behind bushes on the roof, and it's illegal. If he's caught with that, he will go to jail. But he wants to connect with the outside world. So they have the satellite, they have the bushes there blocking it, and he's the one, the real gutsy one, that gets it. But Everybody in the apartment building wants to connect so badly, they pirate in their wires. And they all listen and watch what he's watching. So whatever he's watching, you're watching. So I mean, it's like really bad TV. Ahmadinejad speech, Ahmadinejad speech, let's destroy Israel. You know, it's a rerun from last Tuesday, over and over. Soccer game and all of that. And then when they see something from the outside world, whoa, I want to see this. But whatever he's watching, you're watching. This woman cries out. 85-year-old Muslim, speaks Farsi, obviously, cries out to God. Who are you? How do I get to know you, Jesus? She turns on her television, and there is the beginning of the Jesus video in Farsi. And she watches the whole movie. She's just weeping. The, the, the Jesus that she saw <clears throat> in her dreams was the same Jesus portrayed in the video. And at the end of the video, there's a verse that comes on the screen as she's weeping. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens the door, I will receive him. I will have fellowship. He talks about a, a, a dinner together. Here's an 85-year-old widow in Tehran that would have no idea what a biblical metaphor means. She's never even looked at the Bible, but this is what she thinks. Jesus is at my door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is at my door. So she gets up with her little cane, walks all the way across her apartment and goes to reach and open the door. And let me ask you this. How do you think Jesus is going to respond to that kind of childlike faith? That's all she knows. Jesus said, he's at my door. She opens the door. A bright light flashes. She hears a voice. Shireen, it's me, Jesus. I love you. And she hears him share some special words for her for a few moments. And finally, the light dies down. And he's gone. She shuts the door, takes her cane, walks all the way back into the living room, and sits down. Did this happen? Yes, it happened. Oh my gosh, Jesus came to see me. She looks at the screen. It's still going with the credits. Have any questions? Call (laughs) 1-800-NEED-JESUS. So she dials. And of course, you can't do that in Iran. It goes to Canada, South America, ends up somewhere, Boston. And someone answers the phone in Farsi. And she says, I just saw Jesus. And they said, we know. It's a wonderful movie, isn't it? She said, no, I know I saw the movie. But Jesus came here. He came here. He came to me. And he appeared to me. And he spoke to me. And through uh, the telephone lines in a few moments, she was led to the feet of Jesus. And an 85-year-old widow in Tehran today worships Jesus. They've gotten a Bible to her. Does Jesus care about every soul? He cares about every soul. 85-year-old widow in Tehran. He's reaching out. And we should join him. And this is the greatest harvest field of the day. I truly think it is the fifth greatest awakening. Never seen in 2,000 years one-fourth of the globe being hit by dreams, by so many different things that are happening, opening their hearts up to the Lord. Let's join Jesus in what he's doing. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for your power. And your incredible love and how you saved us, sinners that don't deserve anything. But you reached down and touched us in the darkness. And Lord, we look at the religion of Islam and we know that they need you above all else. And it's if, Jesus, you took the situation into your hands and said, if you won't go to them, I'll do it myself. Because it's not your will that any should perish, but all should come to to knowledge of God, knowledge of the truth. And so you're passionate about reaching them. Father, open our hearts. Get away all all of our fear, any unresolved anger that might be there, and let us just move in what you're doing today and reach out to them with the love of Christ, with open arms. And we thank you for this great opportunity and for sovereignly placing us in this area where there are so many Muslims. May we show them who the real Jesus is. We pray in his name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for letting us be with you this morning. Thank you.